he's here the cook rushed to the door to the courtyard shouting up towards my mother's balcony i lunged after him in horror someone grabbed my arm and i disengaged him with my blade even rusted it bit deep i swung it again and those around me fell back but the cook was still shouting to the intruders that their prize was waiting for them like a complete idiot in the kitchen surrounded by people he thought would help them i tried to back myself toward the door to the outside but it was much too late to think strategically a wall suddenly appeared on my left rushing toward me i turned uncomprehending and raised my sword but it did little good against what turned out to be a table turned on end by the time i understood what was happening i was falling backwards no one not even pole had taught me how to fight off a table oh how the tables have turned hello traitorous servants i'm noelle and i'm caitlin and this is the Atolian archives your queen's thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for return of the thief it's may 17th 2020 today we see the violent results of a conspiracy of kings <laughs> the title of this book makes me think that a conspiracy of kings is the name of a group of kings like a murder of crows a flock of geese <laughs> a pot of whales a conspiracy of kings exactly something that i want to ask right off the bat as we start this book as we get into the meat and potatoes of it is is sophos ever an unreliable narrator because my instinct is no but I want to keep it in mind to see if we can spot that anywhere. That's a good question. I think there are two types of unreliable narrators. One who knows he's hiding something and is doing it on purpose. And the other is like the Harry Potter kind of unreliable narrator where he's not trying to hide anything, but he's just <laughs> an idiot who doesn't notice anything. <laughs> like, I think it was... I just saw someone say, like... There are known unknowns. <laughs> What's that? Actually, Dumbledore was roller skating the whole time. <laughs> exactly. So I think if Sophos is ever unreliable, it's the second type. And he is, like, this chapter, we're starting to get a flood of insight into Sophos' character that we never had in The Thief. In The Thief, we see him through Jen's eyes, and he's young, he's shy, he's nice. Uh, but here, we see, in this chapter, he's emotionally reserved. Like, he doesn't, he likes poetry, but he doesn't like overwrought poetry. He likes epic poetry. Um, and he's really blunt about his criticisms of people. He's equally self-critical and critical of others i notice another similarity between this and the thief which was also first person where um a first-time reader doesn't know that jen is the thief of edith throughout the whole book because he never says that but the reason he never says that in the book is that the people he's telling the story to already know that so that's an, a third way of being unreliable so like the things that are hidden from the reader are things that Edis might already know. We know that Sophos is talking to a specific person right off the bat because he says 
that his father fired another tutor. And then he says, I'm sure that won't surprise you. So mm-hmm. he's talking to, we know it's Edith because we've read the book. But if you've just read this chapter, you know that he's talking to somebody who knows him well enough to be familiar with his relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. But who doesn't know his mother or his sisters because mm-hmm. he introduces us to them. We meet Sophos's sisters. Why can't we meet Jen's sisters, Megan? You could be forgiven for thinking them the incarnation of every ladylike grace, but my father has had frequent cause to swear that they got the spine so notably absent in me. I think that Sophos was positively influenced by growing up around women and girls. Mm-hmm. His love for them is so clear in this chapter. He really loves his mother and sisters. There's a lot about gender in this chapter and how Sophos is failing at performing gender according to his father's view of it. Um, it says that he was sent to Letnos to get him away from the Magus. Um, and he's his next tutor, Chervy, was... Or however you say it. <laughs> the perpetual refrain of when new characters are introduced. So he was to teach Sophos writing and sword and military history and to hell with anything else. Because his father thinks he's too, like, effeminate or whatever. And then when it's when he's introducing um, Hyacinth, his other friend on Letnos, um, he says, Everything I said he agreed with, which was trying, and his flute playing would make the deaf wince. But I think the real problem with Hyacinth was that he reminded me of myself. He read poetry. He flinched at loud noises. In addition to having no musical skills, he had no martial skills. He avoided any situation that might require a physical effort on his part. Seeing him, I found it no wonder that my father despised me. Goodness gracious. It's pretty rough. And something else I thought was really interesting, when the next tutor arrives, Malatesta, uh, he narrates... I was long since old enough to be considered a man, but my tutor was still switching me across the palms of my hands and leaving painful blisters there, and I was still sniffing back tears of rage and humiliation like a big baby. So I thought that was really interesting that he's long since old enough to be considered an adult, but he's still being treated like a child. And nobody expects anything of him, like they're just trying to keep him out of the way long enough for an actual heir to be produced, which is also what he's hoping for when he finds out that his uncle, who is Seuss, has agreed to marry Agape, which, side question, we like Agape, right? We should feel bad for her about this? Uh, When he finds out that this is happening, he's happy, because not only does it mean that Seuss has stopped pursuing Helen, it also means that Seuss might have his own child, and then the pressure will be off of Sophos to be the air like he's just a placeholder another interesting view on gender in this chapter and something that we haven't really seen before since Edith and Atolia are such such independent characters in their own right uh it says he says of his mother my mother would never act against my father's judgment no matter how poorly she thought of Malatesta if my father had stayed at the villa longer than a day, she might have changed his opinion, drawing him into alignment with her own as invisibly as a magnet works on a lodestone. So I feel like in the other books, obviously we get a sense that they're in a patriarchal society and Edith and Atolia are, 
you know, breaking convention by being in charge, but mm-hmm. I feel like here we see that in a different way. Like, not only is Sophos considered effeminate by his father, uh, who resents him for that, but his father kind of places him in, like, a women's environment? Like, he's sort of, he's sequestered with his mother and sisters. Like, he's in, he's, he's been placed in a, a similar social position. Yeah, because he doesn't have any social power at all. Yeah. And Just so, like, like woman. he's, he's able to have this really positive egalitarian relationship with his mother and sisters because he's allied with them in terms of the power dynamics in the family. But when this extraordinary event happens, he's suddenly put into the position where, like, he has to be the man who defends the home. Yeah. And he's never done that before. But he is killing dudes right off the bat. Chapter one, he kills two men. Yeah. He's pretty good. Like, we've... He's he's so self-critical, and maybe this is actually, right away, a instance of him being a little bit of an unreliable narrator, because he's so critical of his own uh, abilities, but he kills two guys, and it takes a lot to take him down. He disengages somebody with his sword, he, uh, he stabs another person... He really, he rises to the occasion. Yeah, and he does get his mother and sisters into what, at the time, seems more like safety. He saves them. And I think, you know, I think part of his, part of his self-criticism and why he, why he thinks so little of himself is, throughout this whole book, he spends, like, the whole time <laughs> comparing himself with Eugenides or asking how would Jen deal with this situation or practicing swearing like Eugenides did. Yeah. And as we've talked about, Jen is good at everything and has <laughs> But also Eugenides provides like this alternative model of masculinity for Sophos. Because Jen is not at all masculine in the vein of Sophos's father. Mm-hmm. And the Magus is also a figure who does meet all of his all of the requirements of his father's version of masculinity. Like he was a soldier first, he mm-hmm. developed a really good reputation as a fighter, etc. But then he was also a scholar after that. And those two parts of his personality don't have to conflict. Mm-hmm. So Sophos has this other model in front of him saying that he could be both. Yeah. I like that the epic poem that um, Sophos likes is called the Eponymiad. The eponymous character is the character who lends their name to the title of a work, like the Iliad or the Aeneid. So thanks, Megan. <laughs> and that reminds me of something I some someone's piece of writing about this I saw about how. Uh, how this book is kind of structured or has, you know, tropes that you would find in epic poetry. 
Yeah, um, he's having and, his own eponymy ad. Yeah, and we see that in this in this chapter. It says, um, yeah, it says once he found out that um, a marriage to Agape was planned for his uncle, so they would have a new heir soon. He wrote to his father asking, "Can I come back to the mainland?" Um, and it's, he said, I prayed to the gods to save me from one more day on Letnos. Within a day of sending the letter, like an idiot in an old wives' tale, I got what I asked for. And it's, yeah, we've sort of, we've changed, like, the stories that we've seen, the stories within the stories that we've seen up to this point have been, um creation myths and fairy tales folk tales and then this book brings us into a more epic poetry oriented format because Sophos is a different kind of character right like Jen is this this trickster that you would see in a folk tale but Sophos is a character who like he needs to undergo change yeah like, he, needs he needs to take transformation a to become something different yeah, I feel like Sophos goes through a lot more personal growth than Jen does. It, well, like, maybe a radically different type of growth is what I mean. Yeah. Like, Jen's always been, like, plucky and angry and, <laughs> I don't know, capable, self-assured, a trickster. So, like, his fundamental character traits. Sophos says that when he was initially doing this hypothetical exercise about what if the villa was attacked he had asked why would anyone attack an unimportant villa and if it was important enough to be attacked why wouldn't it be defended so the first part of that is that sophos doesn't consider the place where he lives as the heir to the throne of sunis to be important enough to attack and also it begs the question why isn't it defended more effectively is that something that gets answered in that i can't quite remember exactly how this goes down is it just that his father didn't bother because the house wasn't defended even from thievery there had never right. been a need right because you can't you can't get off the island without right. being stopped i i'm forgetting the order of events in terms of the OG Sunis getting killed and the political shakeup happening and then this. Does this occur directly after that or concurrently or before? I well, Is like, this a thing that we're going to read the next chapter and we're going to be like, yeah, oh, right. It's, yeah, it's in the next one. They, <laughs> I think that's when they disguise him and put him on a different ship or whatever. I don't know. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, we'll find yeah. out. But <laughs> I've I've only read this one once. <laughs> that's my secret. I've always been confused about the timeline of when does this book happen compared to the other ones. Because it's not certain from this chapter whether or not Jen and Atolia have already gotten married. Yeah, Which is the beginning of King of Atolia. But I think like a year passes in this book, so we know King of Atolia starts in the summer. So if they're both starting at the same time, then... Obviously, King of Atolia takes place only in that summer, and this book would be that summer, the winter after that, and then when Sophos gets to Atolia, it would be the summer after King of Atolia. I think. 
That's not so hard to believe. Yeah. That's what I think is up. Because enough time seems to have passed between the end of King of Atolia and the prologue of this book that Jen's a bit more established. Like, he still knew people are still suspicious of him out in the city. But he's totally king. He's committed. I think it's interesting. It's important to note here. I know we talked a lot in King of Atolia about how, like, your political success in large part depends on do you have the loyalty of the people around you? Mm-hmm. And what did Edis have versus Atolia versus Atolis eventually? So it's important to note here that Selfless's plan came to a halt here because he didn't have the loyalty of the people underneath him. You know, if the servants if the servants had wanted to stay and fight, he might have, you know, persevered. And when I was reading it, I was thinking about how there were kind of two interpretations of what this betrayal means. Like, either it's an entitled rich kid who assumes that his servants will risk their lives for him and finds out that they won't. So it's a, a loss of, of that arrogance. Or it's Sophos is naive and kind and trusts people in general. So it could also be a loss of innocence. And it's kind of both at once. Yeah, I think... I think it's both. <laughs> and whether people are willing to stand up for you or stand behind you, it's all about the image of you that they have in their head, how people perceive you. Like, Sophos is actually brave and he is smart and he almost makes it here. But to these people, he's just a wimp. Yeah, it says... They looked at me like sheep, or rather like goats. Just that look a goat gives you when it has decided not to cooperate and knows you can't make it. Suddenly, I was me again. Just me, the weakling who cried when his tutor whipped his fingers with a switch. So it's because they don't see him as worthy to follow. You know, they don't think he can make it because he's a weakling. And that connects back to eugenides, because with... Jin, something that he has to learn is that it doesn't matter how capable he is if other people don't know that who he needs to to feel that they can rely on him like it, what is it that Talea says it's hard to give your loyalty to a man you don't know mm -hmm. government is a group effort do you think that the gods uh set this in motion do you think that this is Predestined? I don't know if predestined is really the word that I'm looking for. It's just, a it's just as possible that this was just free will, you know, and then... I don't know. I mean, if Sophos had not had this experience, would he have been ready to rule? Or able? That's a really good question. It certainly benefits the, the really high-level goal to have Sophos as soon as. I'm kind of just thinking about, like, okay, what is his, what is his overall general experience here? He's, he built walls for a year. He got super buff. <laughs> he had some conversations about kingship. 
you know, he was free of everyone's expectations for a while and thought about, like, okay, this is who I want to be as a person. Like, I don't have to fail anyone. I'm not a disappointment now. And then... He learns to recognize his own inherent value. Yeah. And then when he does become king of Sunus, when he does go back into that life before knowing he's king, I think the whole difference here, what everything hinges on, is that that was his choice. Whereas before, none of it was his choice. Yeah. Which, it's strange to have all of this talk about a person's inherent value and choice in a book where the character spends so much time as a literal slave. Mm-hmm. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, though. <laughs> yeah. That's chapter one. Next time, Sophos gets some low-budget plastic surgery. Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. Ne- what are we going to say happens next time? Sophos gets a new face. Sophos gets, new- gets some low-budget plastic surgery. <laughs> okay, say that. <laughs>